Welcome to Engage 360, Denver Seminary's podcast. Join us as we explore the redemptive power of the gospel and the life-changing truth of scripture at work in our culture today. Hello again, friends from Denver Seminary. This is Engage 360, and I'm Don Payne, your host. Thank you for spending a little bit of time with us again this week. One of the most prevalent challenges faced in lots of families today, families and churches and other, uh, all other environments for that matter, uh, one of these challenges is the relational tensions presented by divorce and remarriage, especially when children are involved. Uh, now, we, we can and, and should uphold the importance of the marriage bond and work fervently to preserve marriages, but breakups still happen. We all know that. And we simply have to deal with the the realities of blended families, of co-parenting, and the the innumerable challenges that are presented in those situations. Uh, probably everyone here listening is impacted by this in some respect, either directly or indirectly. I mm-hmm. uh, found one stat in from the Pew Research Center in 2015, a little bit dated by now, but they reported at that time that about 15 to 16 percent of children live in blended families. So this is all over the place. Uh, we can't escape it. And it only, if I can be this blunt, it only goes so far to say it shouldn't have happened because it does. So our guest today, I'm honored to have Dr. Eric Suddeth uh, from our counseling faculty. Eric, welcome to Engage 360. Thanks so much for having me. I, uh, I'm really humbled that you guys would ask me to be a part of this, and I'm excited to have a conversation. So, well, we probably won't again, but you know, <laughs> just, you know, so we we'll do any, we'll do anything one time. Fair right? enough. Yeah, yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. Eric, Eric actually <laughs> brings to our faculty loads of experience and expertise in this area. He mm-hmm. uh, got his PhD in counselor education and supervision from the University of Mississippi, Ole Miss, mm-hmm. I think, as they Don't call it. Don't hold it against me. Yep, yeah. Yep, no. Continue. No. Not at all. Not at all. Um, but we're really excited to have him on our counseling faculty and have him as a guest today to bring some of his expertise and experience to bear on this. This, uh, this set of challenges, this complex set of challenges that are presented by divorce and remarriage and blended families and co-parenting and all the stuff involved in that. Mm-hmm. So maybe we could launch out this way, Eric. Just tell us a little bit about some of the, the most common challenges. What are some of those challenges that that you face as a counselor in dealing with um, blended families or co-parenting situations? Mm, Yeah. So I think there's, I I think you said it well, by the way, just to kind of couch it uh, first that it's unavoidable and we'll, you know, whether you're, uh, you've experienced it personally or you're working as a minister or you're a friend of somebody who's experienced it there can be really tough to know how to um, support folks and and kind of move through. And I think one thing that stands out to me, just as you said that, um, and this this frame I think is helpful, uh, not only to me as a counselor, but also I think if you're a friend or a minister listening, that really you know divorce is is a loss, um, and with loss comes that experience of grief, right? And I'm I'm sure a lot of yeah, the any list- form of loss. Right. right. Has a form of grief attached to it. Absolutely. Um, and I, I think what's interesting is that that frame um, for me, as I'm as I'm talking both to, to parents and I'm helping them to, you know, think through the, the stages of of, you know, Kubler-Ross's uh, grief and loss process mm-hmm. of denial and, and anger and depression and bargaining and 
uh, acceptance, that becomes, I think, a really helpful lens to kind of help normalize and provide somewhat of a pathway just to the roller coaster that comes with the experience of loss. And, and when I say loss, it's so many things, right? It's, it's a loss of a relationship. It's a loss of a, of a, of a dream of what the, uh, of the family would look like. It's a, a loss of sometimes financial stability. It's a loss of maybe, um, yeah, there's, there's so many wrap, things wrapped up in it. And I think by having that lens as the parents reflect on their own process and, and then looking at their kiddos, that becomes, uh, I think, at least a framework that becomes helpful. Um, so yeah. do is it, is it fair to say, and this is an honest question, not a rhetorical question, but is it fair to say that some of the challenges presented in these situations come from the fact that people are always working out of a place of grief in one way or another? Or is that, is that saying too much? Uh, yeah, you know, I think, hmm, that's a good question. Um, I think whether they're aware of it or not, yeah. It, especially that, that grief is always coming with them in some ways, right? The right. loss is always there. Right, absolutely. Because even, even after the, the, you know, if somebody decides to get remarried or they're engaging in the co-parenting process, it's like, that's a reminder right there, okay. too, that, you know, right there in, in front of them that there was, a, there was a lost relationship. And I think especially in a church setting where there's all these kind of like the essence of who I am and my identity in Christ and maybe some of the conflict and, well, the divorce happened, I didn't want it to happen. Or so there's so many extra things that come with it, but I think yeah, I know I, I agree with you. I think that's a helpful frame whether people realize it or not. Um, so and that, that's difficult because any type of new experience, I, I don't think people go into a marriage thinking, you know, I hope this ends right. And so um, I think having that because that that's a part of the difficulty is people going through that loss process and they need a they need a map or a tool to kind of help them visualize it. So that that's something that's a way I think that. Mm. Of, of, of viewing it that's helpful because it, it is so difficult. Okay. So, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I kind of got bumped you off your track there, but as, as, you're, as we're thinking about the, the, the common challenges, yeah, right, um, right. How, how does this iterate? How does it show up in people's lived experience? Right. So some of the challenges I think that, that show up in the room um, is uh, you know, people having a high level of emotionality and frustration uh, and blaming of one another. And, and I think sometimes that becomes the thing that they focus on and, um, which causes problems relationally. Um, and I, I think in any situation where there's a lot of responsibility for a failed, you know, people, people don't want to experience responsibility for the failed relationship. Um, and so I think people kind of come up with ways, which makes a lot of sense of trying to blame the other person. So that, that is one potential problem that comes up a lot. Um, is it makes a lot of sense. So hmm. does, that, does that? Yeah, well, yeah, but I, am, I know when, particularly when it comes to uh, parenting issues, mm-hmm. if you've got blended families, um, how those families get along, who, who has the right or the responsibility to right. exercise some kind of authority or discipline or, or direction within the family, those relational Networks or those those lines of relationship get really sideways pretty easily. Yeah, and and I think that ties into something that we just spoke to a moment ago is that because there's the, one of the common problems I think is that there's just no roadmap or pathway forward. Okay, right, and so people don't have some sort of way of moving through it, and so they're just reacting rather than responding. And so the way that that manifests, I think, is that they continue to um, use the same pattern 
of their relating in their, uh, say, like when they were married to then in the co-parenting process where I'm still using the same paradigm for us as partners or as or spouses. Um, and then I bring all that stuff into trying to, which the, really the goal of co-parenting is it's not about the needs of the parents. It's about providing care for the kiddos. And so those things get conflated. And then there's the same old patterns of interaction that begin to kind of manifest. Um, and, and yeah, kids get kind of put in the middle or they get, you know, their people use their kiddos to try and find out stuff about the other partner. And so I think that those kind of problems that existed prior to the divorce, if people aren't intentionally trying to reframe this new relationship, because you're a parent forever. Yeah. That doesn't stop. Right. Once the the the, you know, the relationship is dissolved. And so I think, gosh, there's there's no if you don't have a pathway forward that you just kind of inevitably kind of fall back into those interactional patterns that were the problems to begin with. And so I think that's where really as a counselor, I try to step in and kind of demystify it a little bit, provide a pathway, Mm -hmm. provide a structure, help people to kind of reframe the experience. And it really is a dance, Don, you know, between the grief process that I mentioned earlier and their own kind of emotional healing and then learning how to be in this new space with the same person that may be the image or the experience that brings up all this pain, especially, you know, if the divorce happened for really hard things like abuse or infidelity or something that just, you know, honestly is like a trauma-like response, right? Okay. And so it's, I'm seeing the person that caused the pain and I'm still supposed to parent with this person. Okay. And as a minister, yeah, we can, we can get to that later, but I think about the intersection of, so what does forgiveness look like in those settings? How do you move forward in a way that models for your children <laughs> how to continue to, how do you work with people who maybe you're really frustrated with or really angry with, you know, and how do you forgive people that have hurt you so, so deeply? And I know we're getting a little bit off, off track here, but I think you said that while well, the grief process is there, I think there's no pathway forward. I think those interactional patterns that were established prior to or were the cause of the divorce continue to manifest. And all those things, I think, kind of get pulled in there and they, they show up. <laughs> so. Yeah. So what, what have you found to be helpful in reframing this i like that word you're using but when you talk when you're dealing with couples or families uh, maybe even single parents and helping them reframe um give us some specifics if you can of what that looks like or what that sometimes looks like no no i'm glad to um you know one thing that i commonly use both with you know parents who uh, whether they're faith believing or not is to try to reframe the co-parenting relationship as a business type relationship. Um, and so, I, you know, I'd be curious to even you know, hear what you think when you hear business type relationship with some things that come up for you. Oh, it's more transactional, I guess. Transactional. You don't necessarily bring all of like, I'm not coming to a business relationship or a partner that I have in a business and telling you all of my <laughs> frustrations and all the things yeah. that are happening in my life. It's, yeah. We're focused on the thing that we're working toward, which is our, our making sure our business is succeeding. So it's kind of a narrow, defined relationship, not a comprehensive, more holistic relationship. That's right. Is that fair? Very narrowly defined. And the business in this context is our kiddo. 
And so rather than it being about me and you, like we, we have to have interchanges and exchanges, but it's for the purpose of ensuring that our business succeeds, Okay, which is our, our kiddos or kid, you know, how many children you have. And so I think there's a, uh, that reframe I think is something helpful for people. Cause I think in that is you're, you're minimizing emotionality. Okay. Um, if there is some sort of issue, um, you know, I think there's a different way of communicating that people have to learn along the process of, you know, which things that people should probably should have learned of either in premarital or during, you know, ideally in, they end up communicating sometimes better in the co-parenting relationship than they did prior, but learning how to listen and how to uh, not make things personal, how to not, when you're talking with a business partner, partner um, keeping kind of personal things out of it and focusing on, um, you know, logistics for how to make the business work well. That doesn't mean that, that there's not tension, but uh, obviously within a business relationship that happens too. But, you know, um, I think it's also not not poking triggers, right? So it's because there's a relational history there. You don't go into a business relationship thinking, I'm going to drop something or try to manipulate in such a way that, you know, to to evoke something. It's you have to be, people have to be really mindful about taking all that baggage and the personal problems that existed beforehand, putting them to the side for the sake of, of the child. I think it was a really long-winded way of, of saying reduce emotionality, improving communication for the purpose of making sure your business succeeds, which is your, your kiddos. Yeah. Well, I like the, um, the emphasis on, on the focus of the relationship, the right. tight focus of the relationship right. with a very specific set of outcomes, I guess, and the outcomes being the children when uh, Eric when you when you think preemptively about this I, mean, I guess the the ideal ultimate preemption is well it just doesn't happen to begin with right but <laughs> um, yeah but, but are there preemptive measures preemptive strategies people can take when entering these scenarios such as uh, a new marriage when a blended family first begins to come together, you know, on more or less on the front end okay. of these scenarios that so often end up in a problematic place, um, how might people think preemptively about going into those new relationships? I guess I have to think about it in terms of like maybe the three different parts that we've been talking about, divorce, remarriage, and co-parenting. Because I think if I were to put that in my own words, I'd say, how do you, how do you kind of burst some of the myths or kind of, again, as I mentioned at the very start of our, our conversation together today, of like how do you create a pathway forward, like a roadmap, if you will, of here's some, <laughs> here's some landmarks that are going to happen along the way in the divorce process and the co-parenting process and the remarriage process. And so would it be okay if maybe I took – is there any particular one that might be – No, you pick. Uh, so we haven't talked maybe a little bit. Maybe, let me briefly touch on remarriage, and then, then I'll talk about both divorce and co-parenting. But – I think for re- remarriage, what, what in the literature we call a biological nuclear family, people use the paradigm or like, here is the way that my family worked when it was me, my ex-spouse, and my kiddos. And I think what happens is often, first of all, people remarry often really quickly, which is problematic. Um, and so they, before they have found healing in the Lord, healing relationally, kind of really solidified who they are in this new stage, they jump into another relationship. Statistically, that happens more often for men than it does for women. Mm. Um, and inevitably, what we find is that, you know, that 
a lot of those remarriages end. I think a part of the reason is, and to think preemptively, is they're using the same paradigm that they had in their biological nuclear okay. family in the new family, which is a whole new system with all new sets of rules and patterns of interaction that are, you know, if you've got two-step parents, even them come with a new set of rules. And so I think a part of the process to think preemptively is to know I need to come out of this with a lot of patience a lot of open hands and a lot of open communication around, I know that my family was not your family. So who do we want to be as a family? Um, and that, that, that manifests both in terms of like rituals and, and, and um, I'm losing the word that I was going to say besides rituals, but like I'm thinking like holidays and birthdays and yeah, traditions. Yeah. Great. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So how do we navigate this from a new with a fresh set of eyes which is really hard to do and and to talk out loud about those maybe as we begin to realize them and experience tension which is inevitable conflict which is inevitable in those moments to say i'm operating out of this assumption let's have a conversation about what's happening here and figure out who we want to be i also think another issue to think preemptively that often happens is um when you have new kiddos that get set up in the mix especially when they're younger and you've got parenting roles a recommendation that I often give to, if it's not your biological child, your role, at least to begin with, is to really lean on the biological parent for um, disciplining and supporting them and trying to foster a friendship. And that might that might sound strange, and I don't mean friendship as in like you're a buddy-buddy, but you're trying to to foster a, a close relationship with that that kiddo that says, I realize I'm not your parent. I do have, I you know, you want to see as a, as an authority in in the home, but you really got to lean on the the biological parent to kind of lead that and to empower that, right? Um, but you want to foster trust in a relationship, and it's harder, I think, with adolescents, little kids, little kids. It's not as tough, but once you once you have kids who are teens and they're they're in that developmental stage of where they're kind of pushing, out yeah, and figuring that's, out that's a long road. Yes. Yeah. yeah, they need to see you as a confidant. Maybe that's okay. a better word than friend because okay. that, that, some of the connotations behind that is not what I mean, but somebody who that they can trust. Yeah, tr- that, well, trust, that's the word that kept coming back to my mind is they, the, the building of trust and a building of probably a nurturing, a nourishing relationship yeah. where this, um, this person feels safe to, mm-hmm. to, f- to flourish, to let themselves be known in some of the hard places that they may want to keep to themselves. I totally, totally agree. I like that word flourish too. And I think in some ways that's a reframe of the step family. Cause I think what happens, especially in a church context, there's all this stigma around remarriage and divorce, which depending on the particular context you come from, that's heavier or not. Right. So we have internalized ideas about, Oh, I'm a step family. That must mean we're broken from the get go. What a powerful reframe to think here's another adult in my life who I can, talk to and trust to as an objective perspective. And so I think trying to position yourself as the, if you're the non-biological parent there to do that, I think is really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, I think just in, I want to talk about divorce for a second here about some of the preemptive stuff. Cause <laughs> for all of you listeners, there's some things that I really, if you're a minister or a friend or you're in this process yourself, I know it's hard. And all of those frustrations and emotions I think can can lead to people making some really bad decisions as they're, in, as they're going through the process. Um, one is 
you need to avoid saying really slanderous things, hateful things about the other parent in front of your kiddos. They internalize that. Mm -hmm. And what they hear is, first of all, kids going to blame themselves anyway for the divorce. So you need to keep that in mind that they need to hear that it's not their fault that you always love them. But they hear, well, half of me is wrong because I'm half daddy. I'm half mommy. Oh, okay. And so they internalize, well, if you, if you hate that part of mommy and they're hearing you say this, then. And if I love mommy, then yeah. Where's the logic go? And, yeah. And then there's a loyalty conflict. So you're saying that I can't, I can't be close to mommy or I can't be close to mommy's family. And so it creates this tension with kiddos. And I've always got an eye to kiddos during these times. But parents need to find emotional support outside of their kids and to have a support system that allows them to, so that when they're with their kiddos, they can be totally present and emotionally available because kiddos, they're going through the same things the parents are. And I don't think sometimes parents are so involved in the conflict and the frustration themselves with the, their ex-spouse for whatever reason and legitimate reasons for frustration and anger that they fail to be able to pay attention to their kiddos because they're so caught up in that. Um, so I think, yeah, avoid, avoid saying negative things in front of your kiddos. Find a, and that leads me to my second point here, I think finding a support system at church or among a group of friends that you can, and, and preferably not your family, you, you need a support system. Just like if you're on an airplane, they tell you to put the oxygen mask on yourself first and not your kiddo. If you're dying, emotionally, spiritually, physically, whatever, which way, right, holistically, that's going to hinder your ability to be able to show up for your kids, uh, your job, whatever, whatever else. Um, so you need a support system. Um, a little bit earlier when you were talking about preemptive steps, it sounds like one huge step is simply for, I say simply, but you know, it's maybe fundamentally for people to realize that they do have a paradigm that they're bringing with them into a new relationship and be willing to question that and to rewire, re rebuild, restructure that paradigm, um, know, knowing at least that that will have to be done. It sounds to me like a huge step forward. Yeah, and, and it's really hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because those paradigms, what we all have, are very intuitive. They're very, very tacit, so deeply embedded. We're, yeah. I mean, we're, we're operating out of them all the time, even if we are not aware that we're doing so. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. And they develop over a period sometimes of like decades. Oh, yeah. And so the yeah. idea to to come to f something to a fresh, not that you change who you are, but that you're at least aware, I think is mm -hmm. an open. I think that just that awareness can be really helpful okay. so that as you come into a new relationship that there's a degree of being able to name, that's why we're having conflict. Okay. That doesn't mean that our family is broken. Everybody has conflict. And how you navigate that conflict is the important part. And I think having that reframe to know this is inevitable of yeah. any new family helps people to not destroy it before it's, you know, anyway. You know, Eric, you said something a little early on in our conversation about these situations being occasions where people learn skills of forgiveness, um, learn other other basic, um, basic Christian traits and and um, character arcs. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that, that makes me, or that kind of points me in the direction of the redemptive capacity of these, these really difficult situations, S situations that may come out of 
a horrible sin that's been done. They may come out of horrible brokenness. They may come from all kinds of places, and they're sure. they're just they're just not what anybody originally envisioned, and yet mm-hmm. they are. So, as Christians, how can we view these as opportunities? I think you you may have used that word or something mm-hmm. similar. Opp- opportunities f- to learn something about redemption. To learn something about what he means to both forgive and to be forgiven, to wow. learn something more um, even gritty about what grace is. Right. Well, there's nothing like a really difficult experience that butts right up against, you know, our fallenness, right? That I think I love the word opportunity. Um, provides an opportunity to really, I think you have a choice point and to lean into your faith and to figure out how to to navigate this, uh, whether you're the person who, which I hate saying the word like fault or blame, because obviously I think it's more complex than that. But I, I think when being able to um, take responsibility for sin, take responsibility for hurt, and maybe even in that moment to see our own, <laughs> our own fragility um, and our own inability to to be perfect all the time, to really lean in that and say, Lord, like, what do you want to do with that? I think there's uh. beautiful opportunities, even even for reconciliation. I think the relationship has to look different, but gosh, yeah, there's, and, and I know in the moment as a counselor, we use, you say the word forgiveness. It makes me think of C.S. Lewis in the way that he conceptualizes it. And I, I cling to this is that it's a process, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. It doesn't happen immediately, and yeah. it takes time. I think it has to happen over and over. They're, and they're, over they're, you, you recycle and through it. So, it, <laughs> you know, you, we, we forgive and experience forgiveness at deeper yeah. and deeper levels as we recycle through it. That's right. That's right. Uh, Eric, you've, um, you've been in pastoral ministry before you mm-hmm. went into uh, counseling, and so you're, you're very much in touch with what it's like for people in various forms of church ministry or maybe parachurch ministry to— to, to deal with and try to help uh, people who are in these difficult situations. Mm-hmm. Um, many of them have not had the, you know, the benefit of higher level sure. training, such as you bring to, uh, to these relationships. But for, for those who are attempting to give pastoral care in, in these situations, what are some of the things they need to keep in mind? Well, I'm, I'm so glad you asked. I'm so glad you asked that question. I think um, both as a youth minister, and then, you know, I worked, I've worked regularly with pastors um, in my counseling practice. Um, and I think one thing that, that really shows up for, like, when parents or, you know, people are initially maybe going through the divorce process, not for everybody, but often you'll have one partner come in and attempt to get you to side with them. Okay. And I think there's a number of reasons for that, but I think a part of the a part of that is they're trying to justify in their own mind to feel right to, um, especially because it's tied up with you know I don't want to be the one to blame or to be seen as the one who messed this up, especially in this church context. I want to side with you, and I need you to side with me. That that in and of itself is a thing you should not do. Okay. Uh, it is decide necessarily with the person um, because what will happen, and I've seen this happen multiple times. That information, if you do side with them, to say, yeah, no, you are, you know, that information gets used against the other partner and used as a, as a wedge. And sometimes, unfortunately, 
kids get pulled into it and stuff like that. So I think really practically being able to, if a person tries to pull you in, being able to talk more about their own experience and say, how are you experiencing this? Rather than, you know, the other person is not in the room and say, if, if you'd like to maybe bring in the other person, we can have a conversation. I think that would be really helpful. But if they try to get you to point blame or to, you know, allocate responsibility, reject it. Don't get triangulated into that and, and process through what their own pain is and how this experience, you know, thinking about their role as as a spiritual encourager and director and pastoral you're there to provide comfort not to be the the judge and saying who's right or wrong because that that could get i think that can that can have some really negative consequences down the road um so i have some real practical ways of you know doing that but i think just keeping in mind as they start to process with you asking them about how they're experiencing it how are they you know when did it you know, how did it start and hearing about their own experience could be really helpful. Um, after the fact, I think just remembering that people need support and love first is really important. Um, I think about, think about Job. I think Job had some ideas maybe about, he's still kind of, you know, he didn't know exactly why things were happening to him, but Job's friends were doing really well when they were listening. And then the moment they spoke up and tried to start, (laughs) yeah, yeah, the situation changed. It shifted. Dramatically. Yeah, yeah. And mm. I, I think first and foremost, just people know. I mean, people know. When they come to you and they're going through the process of divorce, they, they know. You know, that, and they don't need to be more, they need truth, I, I think. But first and foremost, I think people need to know for, that they're still loved by God. Okay. And they need emotional support. So I think as a, as a minister, being able to be available emotionally to people Um and not just the people directly involved, but kids. Kids mm. are often forgotten in that space. And so I'm thinking about the youth ministers. I'm thinking about the parents that are involved with the, the youth. I'm thinking about helping people to connect during that time to v- provide space just for people to be in that tension. Mm. Um, I have some other ideas, but I don't want to keep rambling. Well, let's um, maybe begin to um, tie a bow on the conversation this way. I'd love for you to give us maybe a, a couple of your Well, think about what are your top two suggestions that you think anybody who is kind of in the middle of a of a difficult uh, remarriage situation or a co-parenting or blended family situation? What what are the top two things you think they need to keep in mind or pay attention to? And then give us maybe your top two as well for people um, who are on the caregiving side of of those, um, those relationships. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think that's, those are, that's great. Um, so for, for the people for the, the divorce, remarriage, co-parenting side of things, I would say, um, be kind, be kind to yourself and know that it's It's a process. Cause I think sometimes when you're caught up in the middle of it, you think like, this is never going to get better. This is never going to get easier. Co-parenting is really hard. Um, and I don't think time necessarily heals all things, but I think with intentionality and maybe some of the, the myths that we kind of tried to bust during this podcast a little bit with intentionality and, and kind of restructuring communication and being intentional and honestly seeing a counselor, um, knowing it's a process. I think that's the first thing. Know it's a process. Know it's going to take, take time. Be patient with yourself. Okay. Second thing I would say is um, be mindful of your kiddos. Because I think people can get so caught up in their own 
frustration and conflict and hurt that sometimes kids kind of get put to the wayside. Okay. Um, and so providing them emotional support, connecting them with other adults in their lives, getting them counseling too, I think is really important. So don't forget about, don't forget about your own experience with your kiddos. Um, I think people are maybe naturally attuned to that, but I, 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 I want to reemphasize it here. Okay, good, good. Parallel process. There, yeah. So. so, so for those pastors, mentors, um, th- those who, they may not be the professional counselors, but they're the ones who mm-hmm. maybe are on the front line. Uh, with an opportunity to, to come alongside mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, those who are really, really struggling? What are the top two things they need to keep in mind? Yeah, first thing I would say is is be available to support emotionally, physically, even in terms of like real practical stuff that people need, like like food and child care um, and spiritually. People need support across, like holistically. Just provide support, be there. It's amazing, just like Job's friends, just being present is more powerful than you'll ever know and listening well. Um, I think the other thing I would say is don't take the bait <laughs> for taking sides, whether you're a minister, friend, or whatever. Um, you know, I think just in the sense of like being a listening ear and not being up on the other person, right? You know, the ex-spouse or whatever. Because um, I think that can sometimes, people need to be able to express it but you don't want to add fuel to the fire or, or you know, in accidentally slip stuff with the kiddos or in some sort of way. So I think um, offering support and then not not taking sides, but just being present. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's more to it, but I know we're probably about yeah. out of time. Well, that's, that's so. really helpful, Eric. Very, very helpful. Thanks okay. for uh, taking some time to be with us and share yeah. from, from your considerable experience. In, in this area, and I know this is going to land in a lot of fertile places because this is something, as I've mentioned at the outset, that affects almost everybody, whether it's their own experience or the experience of somebody close to them and, and loved by them. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it affects everybody. Sure. So thanks for that. Dr. Eric Suttoth from our counseling faculty. He salutes. <laughs> uh, if you'd like to learn more about uh, Eric, you can find his... Um, his bio and qualifications and history and all that interesting stuff on our faculty webpage or the faculty page of our seminary web- website. That's denverseminary.edu. Uh, you can also find out about our counseling program and all the ways in which um, God is helping us train people to go out and be in the trenches redemptively, um, as we say in our mission statement, to address the needs of the world, engage the needs of the world with the redemptive power of the gospel and the life-changing truth of Scripture. That's what we're all about. Mm-hmm. And Eric's uh, one we're really happy is on our team to help us do that. So friends, this is uh, Ben Engage 360. You're spending some much appreciated, much valued time with us at Denver Seminary. And we would love to get to know you better if we don't. So um, let us know who you are and what you're thinking. If you want to email us, do so at podcast at denverseminary.edu. We would love to hear from you. And we look forward to another conversation with you real soon. Take care.